This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Chapter 33. Cassie. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Ecclesiastes 4, 1. It took but a short time to familiarize Tom with all that was to be hoped or feared in his new way of life. He was an expert and efficient workman in whatever he undertook, and was, both from habit and principle, prompt and faithful. Quiet and peaceable in his disposition, he hoped, by unremitting diligence, to avert from himself at least a portion of the evils of his condition. He saw enough of abuse and misery to make him sick and weary, but he determined to toil on with religious patience, committing himself to him that judgeth righteously, not without hope that some way of escape might yet be open to him. Legree took a silent note of Tom's availability. He rated him as a first-class hand, and yet he felt a secret dislike to him, the native antipathy of bad to good. He saw, plainly, that when, as was often the case, his violence and brutality fell on the helpless, Tom took notice of it, for so subtle is the atmosphere of opinion that it will make itself felt without words, and the opinion even of a slave may annoy a master. Tom, in various ways, manifested a tenderness of feeling, a commiseration for his fellow-sufferers, strange and new to them, which was watched with a jealous eye by Legree. He had purchased Tom with a view of eventually making him a sort of overseer, with whom he might at times entrust his affairs, in short absences. And in his view the first, second, and third requisite for that place was hardness. Legree made up his mind that, as Tom was not hard to his hand, he would harden him forthwith. And some few weeks after Tom had been on the place, he determined to commence the process. One morning, when the hands were mustered for the field, Tom noticed with surprise a newcomer among them, whose appearance excited his attention. It was a woman, tall and slenderly formed, with remarkably delicate hands and feet, and dressed in neat and respectable garments. By the appearance of her face she might have been between thirty-five and forty. And it was a face that, once seen, could never be forgotten. One of those that, at a glance, seemed to convey to us an idea of a wild, painful, and romantic history. Her forehead was high, and her eyebrows marked with beautiful clearness. Her straight, well-formed nose, her finely cut mouth, and the graceful contour of her head and neck showed that she must once have been beautiful. But her face was deeply wrinkled with lines of pain, and of proud and bitter endurance. Her complexion was sallow and unhealthy, her cheeks thin, her features sharp, and her whole form emaciated. But her eye was the most remarkable feature, so large, so heavily black, overshadowed by long lashes of equal darkness, and so wildly, mournfully despairing. There was a fierce pride and defiance in every line of her face, in every curve of the flexible lip, in every motion of her body. But in her eye was a deep, settled night of anguish, an expression so hopeless and unchanging as to contrast fearfully with the scorn and pride expressed by her whole demeanour. Where she came from, or who she was, Tom did not know. The first he did know she was walking by his side, erect and proud, in the dim grey of the dawn. To the gang, however, she was known. 
for there was much looking and turning of heads, and a smothered yet apparent exultation among the miserable, ragged, half-starved creatures by whom she was surrounded. "'Got to come to it at last! Grad of it!' said one. "'He-he-he!' <laughs> said another. "'You'll know how good it is, Missy. We'll see her work. Wonder if she'll get a cutting up at night, like the rest of us.' "'I'd be glad to see her down for a flogging, I'll be bound,' said another. The woman took no notice of these taunts, but walked on, with the same expression of angry scorn, as if she heard nothing. Tom had always lived among refined and cultivated people, and he felt intuitively, from her air and bearing, that she belonged to that class. But how or why she could be fallen to those degrading circumstances he could not tell. The woman neither looked at him nor spoke to him, though all the way to the field she kept close at his side. Tom was soon busy at his work but as the woman was at no great distance from him, he often glanced an eye to her at her work. He saw at a glance that a native adroitness and handiness made the task to her an easier one than it proved to many. She picked very fast and very clean, and with an air of scorn as if she despised both the work and the disgrace and humiliation of the circumstances in which she was placed. In the course of the day Tom was working near the mulatto woman who had been bought in the same lot with himself. She was evidently in a condition of great suffering, and Tom often heard her praying as she wavered and trembled and seemed about to fall down. Tom silently, as he came near to her, transferred several handfuls of cotton from his own sack to hers. "'Oh, don't, don't!' said the woman, looking surprised. "'It'll get you into trouble!' Just then Sambo came up. He seemed to have a special spite against this woman, and, flourishing his whip, said in brutal guttural tones, "'What is yer loose, foolin' I?' and with the word, kicking the woman with his heavy cowhide shoe, he struck Tom across the face with his whip. Tom silently resumed his task, but the woman, before at the last point of exhaustion, fainted. "'I'll bring her to,' said the driver, with a brutal grin. "'I'll give her something better than camphor.' And taking a pin from his coat-sleeve, he buried it to the head in her flesh. The woman groaned, and half rose. "'Get up, you beast, and work, will you, or I'll show you a trick more!' The woman seemed stimulated for a few moments to an unnatural strength, and worked with desperate eagerness. "'See that you keep to that R,' said the man, "'or you'll wish you dead to-night, I reckon.' "'That I do now,' Tom heard her say, and again he heard her say, "'Oh, Lord, how long? Oh, Lord, why don't you help us?' At the risk of all that he might suffer, Tom came forward again, and put all the cotton in his sack into the woman's. "'Oh, you mustn't! You don't know what they'll do to you,' said the woman. "'I can bar it,' said Tom. "'Better'n you.' And he was at his place again. It passed in a moment. Suddenly the stranger woman whom we have described, and who had in the course of her work come near enough to hear Tom's last words, raised her heavy black eyes, and fixed them for a second on him. Then, taking a quantity of cotton from her basket, she placed it in his. "'You know nothing about this place,' she said or you wouldn't have done that. When you've been here a month, you'll be done helping anybody. You'll find it hard enough to take care of your own skin." "'The Lord forbid, missus,' said Tom, using instinctively to his field companion the respectful form proper to the high bred with whom he had lived. "'The Lord never visits these parts,' said the woman bitterly, as she went nimbly forward with her work, and again the scornful smile curled her lips. But the action of the woman had been seen by the driver across the field, and, flourishing his whip, he came up to her. "'What? What?' he said to the woman, with an air of triumph. 
"'You a foolin'? Go long. You're under me now. Mind yourself, or you'll caught it.' A glance like sheet-lightning suddenly flashed from those black eyes, and, facing about, with quivering lip and dilated nostrils, she drew herself up and fixed a glance, blazing with rage and scorn, on the driver. "'Dog!' she said. "'Touch me, if you dare. I've power enough yet to have you torn by the dogs, burnt alive, cut to inches. I've only to say the word.' "'What the devil you here for, then?' said the man, evidently cowed, and sullenly retreating a step or two. "'Didn't mean no harm, Miss Cassie.' "'Keep your distance, then,' said the woman. And in truth the man seemed greatly inclined to attend to something at the other end of the field, and started off in quick time. The woman suddenly turned to her work, and labored with a dispatch that was perfectly astonishing to Tom. She seemed to work by magic. Before the day was through, her basket was filled, crowded down, and piled, and she had several times put largely into Tom's. Long after dusk, the whole weary train, with their baskets on their heads, defiled up to the building appropriated to the storing and weighing the cotton. Legree was there, busily conversing with the two drivers. "'Dat our Tom's gwine to make a powerful deal of trouble. Kept a puttin' into Lucy's basket. One of these yer dat will get all the der niggers to feelin' abused, if master don't watch him,' said Sambo. "'Hey, day, the black cuss,' said Legree. "'He'll have to get a breakin' in, won't he, boys?' Both negroes grinned a horrid grin at this intimation. "'Aye, aye, let Master Degree alone, for breakin' in. De devil hisself couldn't beat Master dat,' said Quimbo. "'Well, boys, best way is to give him the flogging to do, till he gets over his notions. Break him in.' "'Lord, Master'll have hard work to get that out of him.' "'It'll have to come out of him, though,' said Legree, as he rolled his tobacco in his mouth. "'Now, dar's Lucy, de aggravatin' this ugliest wench on de place,' pursued Sambo. "'Take care, Sam. I shall begin to think what's the reason for your spite again, Lucy. Well, Massa knows she sought herself up again, Massa, and wouldn't have me when he telled her to—' "'I'd have flogged her into it,' said Legree, spitting. "'Only there's such a press o' work, it don't seem worth a while to upset her just now. She's slender, but these yer slender gals will bear half killin' to get their own way. Well, Lucy was real aggravatin' and lazy, sulkin' around, wouldn't do nothin', and Tom he stuck up for her. He did, eh? Well, then, Tom shall have the pleasure of flogging her. It'll be a good practice for him, and he won't put it on to the gal like you devils, neither. Ho, ho, ha, 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 laughed both the sooty wretches and the diabolical sound seemed, in truth, a not unapt expression of the fiendish character which Legree gave them. "'Well, but, Massa, Tom and Miss Cassie, and they among em, filled Lucy's basket. I rather guess their weight's in it, Massa.' "'I do the weighing,' said Legree emphatically. Both the drivers again laughed their diabolical laugh. "'So,' he added, "'Miss Cassie did her day's work. She picks like the devil and all his angels.' "'She's got em all in her, I believe,' said Legree, and, growling a brutal oath, he proceeded to the weighing-room. Slowly the weary, dispirited creatures wound their way into the room, and, with crouching reluctance, presented their baskets to be weighed. Legree noted on a slate, on the side of which was pasted a list of names, the amount. Tom's basket was weighed and approved, and he looked, with an anxious glance, for the success of the woman he had befriended. Tottering with weakness, she came forward and delivered her basket. It was a full weight, as Legree well perceived. But affecting anger, he said, "'What, you lazy beast! Short again! Stand aside! You'll catch it pretty soon!' The woman gave a groan of utter despair, and sat down on a board. 
The person who had been called Missy Cassie now came forward, and, with a haughty, negligent air, delivered her basket. As she delivered it, Legree looked in her eyes with a sneering yet inquiring glance. She fixed her black eyes steadily on him, her lips moved slightly, and she said something in French. What it was, no one knew, but Legree's face became perfectly demoniacal in its expression as she spoke. He half raised his hand as if to strike, a gesture which she regarded with fierce disdain as she turned and walked away. "'And now,' said Legree, "'come here, you, Tom. You see, I told you I didn't buy you just for the common work. I mean to promote you, and make a driver of you. And to-night you may just as well begin to get your hand in. Now you just take this yar gal and flog her. You seen enough on to know how.' "'I beg Massa's pardon,' said Tom. "'Hopes Massa won't set me at that. It's what I ain't used to, never did, and can't do, no way possible.' "'You'll learn a pretty smart chance of things that you never did know before I've done with you.' said Legree, taking up a cowhide, and striking Tom a heavy blow across the cheek, and followed up the inflection by a shower of blows. "'There,' he said, as he stopped to rest. "'Now, will you tell me you can't do it?' "'Yes, Massa,' said Tom, putting up his hand to wipe the blood that trickled down his face. "'I'm willing to work night and day, and work while there's life and breath in me. But this yar thing I can't feel it right to do. And, Massa, I never shall do it. Never!' Tom had a remarkably smooth, soft voice, and a habitually respectful manner, that had given Legree an idea that he would be cowardly and easily subdued. When he spoke these last words, a thrill of amazement went through every one. The poor woman clasped her hands and said, "'Oh, Lord!' and every one involuntarily looked at each other and drew in their breath, as if to prepare for the storm that was about to burst. Legree looked stupefied and confounded, but at last burst forth, "'What?' "'You blasted black beast! Tell me you don't think it right to do what I tell you! What have any of you cussed cattle to do with thinking what's right? I'll put a stop to it. Why, what do you think you are? Maybe you think you're a gentleman master, Tom, to be a-telling your master what's right and what ain't, so you pretend it's wrong to flog the gal.' "'I think so, master,' said Tom. "'The poor critter's sick and feeble. T'would be downright cruel. And it's what I never will do, nor begin to.' Mass, if you mean to kill me, kill me. But as to my raising my hand agin any one here, I never shall. I'll die first." Tom spoke in a mild voice, but with a decision that could not be mistaken. Legree shook with anger, his greenish eyes glared fiercely, and his very whiskers seemed to curl with passion. But like some ferocious beast that plays with its victim before he devours it, he kept back his strong impulse to proceed to immediate violence and broke out into bitter raillery. "'Well, here's a pious dog at last let down among his sinners, a saint, a gentleman, and no less, to talk to us sinners about our sins. Powerful holy critter he must be. Here, you rascal, you make believe to be so pious. Didn't you never hear, out of your Bible, servants obey your masters? Ain't I your master? Didn't I pay down twelve hundred dollars cash for all there is inside your old cussed black shell?' "'Ain't your mind now, body and soul?' he said, giving Tom a violent kick with his heavy boot. "'Tell me!' In the very depth of physical suffering, bowed by brutal oppression, this question shot a gleam of joy and triumph through Tom's soul. He suddenly stretched himself up, and looking earnestly to heaven, while the tears and blood that flowed down his face mingled, he exclaimed, "'No! 
No, no, my soul ain't yours, massa. You haven't bought it. You can't buy it. It's been bought and paid for by one that is able to keep it. No matter, no matter, you can't harm me. I can't, said Legree with a sneer. We'll see, we'll see. Here, Sambo, Quimbo, give this dog such a breakin' in as he won't get over this month. The two gigantic negroes that now laid hold of Tom with fiendish exultation in their faces might have formed no unapt personification of powers of darkness. The poor woman screamed with apprehension, and all rose, as if by general impulse, while they dragged him unresisting from the place. End of chapter 33